Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Husher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caprella, and concerts on Thursday, December 16th through Sunday the 19th feature guest conductor Nicholas McGeegan and a single work, Handel's Messiah. Joining the orchestra will be soprano Julia von Doren, countertenor Reginald Mobley, tenor Ben Bliss, Dashaun Burton is the bass baritone, and the Chicago Symphony Chorus, Dwayne Wolfe, director. Here are Philip Pusher's program notes on Handel's Messiah, a work lasting about two hours, 25 minutes. On April 6, 1759, just eight days before he died, Handel appeared in public for the last time, blind and partially paralyzed by a series of strokes, to attend London's annual performance of his Messiah. Not a year has passed without a performance of it since. In 1993, Messiah was even sung in a Zulu translation by a black choir performing with a white orchestra at the Peter Maritzburg City Hall in Natal, South Africa, for an enthusiastic, if somewhat puzzled, audience that included the king of the Zulu nation. Handel couldn't have imagined such a fate for his oratorio, even though its annual presentation was already something of a London ritual at the end of his life, because the idea of playing music of previous generations was nearly unheard of during his lifetime. The concept of music speaking to an entirely different culture wasn't something that would have occurred even to as worldly a man as Handel, born in Germany, trained in Italy, a resident of England, famous throughout Western Europe, fluent in four languages, and exceptionally well-traveled for a citizen of the 18th century when most people lived and died within a few miles of their birthplace. But Messiah was an exception, recognized as a landmark almost at once, and loved more than any other piece of vocal music by generation after generation, each with its own ideas about how Handel's music should sound. Its history followed a very different course from Bach's St. Matthew Passion, composed just 14 years before Messiah, which was all but forgotten after Bach's death and waited until Mendelssohn's famous revival in 1729, a century after the first performance, for its rediscovery. Unlike Beethoven's Ninth Symphony or Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, works that today are also considered icons, Messiah was acclaimed from the start. After the public rehearsal that preceded the first performance in Dublin in 1742, the local journal reported that Messiah was allowed by the greatest judges to be the finest composition of music that ever was heard, an opinion that was challenged surprisingly little in the years ahead, although London, Handel's adopted hometown, was indifferent at first. Performances of Messiah quickly became a kind of sacred rite, with the 1784 presentation in Westminster Abbey, which commemorated the 25th anniversary of the composer's death and featured 261 singers, 229 orchestral musicians, and three conductors, its status as the ultimate musical blockbuster, a guaranteed box office smash, an unparalleled spiritual experience was secure, as was the tradition of monster performances which lasted more than a century and a half, climaxing with the 1883 production in London's Crystal Palace with 500 orchestral players and 4,000 singers a fashion George Bernard Shaw, a lone voice of reason at the time, dismissed as 
the silly notion that big music requires big bands and choruses. In 1789, Mozart made his own orchestration of Messiah, arranged for greater serviceability for our day, as the title page explained, and it is a labor of love, though also a misrepresentation of Handel's score. No one, it seemed, was immune to Messiah. I would uncover my head and kneel down at his tomb, Beethoven said when he was asked about what he thought of the composer of Messiah, an appraisal confirmed by the way he emulated Handel's And He Shall Reign fugue in the Dona Nobis Pachum of his own great Missa Solemnis. Inevitably, for a work of such widespread popularity, there have been skeptics, beginning with Charles Jennings himself, who wrote, his Messiah has disappointed me after the very first performance, later admitting that Handel had made a fine entertainment of the text, though not near so good as he might and ought to have done. Attending a performance later in the 17th century, Samuel Johnson chose to compose a Latin poem extolling the virtues of staying at home rather than listen, and Ezra Pound eventually wrote his own verdict, lumping together, Here Handel, and boiled potatoes. Messiah was mentioned for the first time in a letter dated July 10, 1741, from Charles Jennings, who is best known today for compiling the oratorio's text. Handel says he will do nothing next winter, but I hope I shall persuade him to set another scripture collection I have made for him. The subject is Messiah. Handel apparently was easily persuaded, and he composed the music, more than 250 pages of manuscript, in little more than three weeks, beginning on August 22nd. The speed, the concentration of energy, and the lavishness of invention weren't unusual for Handel. He moved on to Samson as soon as he finished Messiah, completing it a month later. The first performance was given not in London, where Handel had lived for nearly 30 years, but in Dublin, Ireland, during the nine months he spent there beginning in late 1741, following a disastrous London season for his operas at the box office. Handel was already popular in Dublin, and there was a great interest in the concerts he announced for the winter and spring. The climax was to come on April 13th with a new work that hadn't yet even been performed in London, Messiah. Anticipation was high. The concert announcement that ran in the Dublin papers requested the favor of the ladies not to come with hoops this day, and asked the men likewise to leave their swords at home to make room for a bigger crowd. The performance was scheduled for noon, allowing the audience to get home in time for dinner, normally served at four, and the doors opened at eleven in the morning. Denied their hoops and swords, some 700 Dubliners jammed Neal's Music Hall, designed for no more than 600. Handel conducted from the keyboard and even played organ concertos, demonstrating his celebrated skill at improvising during the breaks. If subsequent London performances are any judge, he wore his huge signature white wig, and as Bernie later reported, when things went well at the oratorio, it had a certain nod or vibration which manifested his pleasure and satisfaction. Things apparently went very well, and Messiah found such a large and eager public with its first performance that a repeat was scheduled for June 3rd. London didn't share 
Dublin's enthusiasm at first, and the performances that Handel gave there both in March 1743 and April 1745 failed to generate excitement. That all changed with the revival Handel led in 1750 to benefit the Foundling Hospital, which launched the successful series of annual charity performances that continued till the composer's death nine years later. By then, Messiah had become a tradition. In all, Handel gave 36 performances of his most popular work during the last 17 years of his life, making adjustments of various kinds, vocal lines rewritten, and arias transposed to suit different singers, entirely new pieces added nearly every time. Messiah is unique, even in Handel's output. Unlike traditional oratorios, it has no dramatic characters. The story, as pieced together by Jennings, drawing text from the Old Testament and from the Book of Common Prayer, the service book of the Church of England, is told by an anonymous narrator. This distance from the action is underlined by Handel's decision, unique in his oratorios, to divide the music into parts rather than acts. The texts were so familiar that Handel's listeners all knew the words by heart, forging a rare bond with the audience that finds its ultimate expression in today's do-it-yourself performances. The musical glories of Messiah are often unconventional, although our familiarity with the score tends to distort our sense of what was the norm. There are many unusual touches. The opening recitative, Comfort Ye My People, so melodic and richly accompanied that it sounds like an aria. The aria, O Thou That Tellest Good Tidings, in which the traditional repeat of the main section is hijacked by the full chorus to thrilling effect. A duet, He Shall Feed His Flock, in which the two voices never sing together or even in alternation, but successively, with the soprano magically taking over from the mezzo-soprano at the moment the text shifts from Isaiah to St. Matthew. The arias range from the grand, The Trumpet Shall Sound, to the deeply introspective, He Was Despised, and often demand opera house virtuosity. There's an unusual amount of music for the chorus of Messiah, more than in any other Handel oratorio except Israel and Egypt, although the subtlety, imagination, and variety of Handel's choral writing has long been overshadowed by the brilliant Hallelujah that ends part two. The habit of standing for this number was begun by King George II at one of the first London performances, although it has been suggested that he was merely confused about the time of the next intermission. In his will, Handel left his set of Messiah performing parts to the Foundling Hospital in London, which had already benefited considerably from the composer's annual performances there in the hope that their Messiah tradition would continue. They are now in the library of the Thomas Coram Foundation, the successor to the hospital, and Messiah itself has become an institution. Program notes by Philip Husher on Handel's Messiah. My name is Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.